I'm Shanna Hutchison, dietitian, blogger, and mama, born and raised in the heart of the Midwest. I believe that wellness goes way beyond what we eat and that our body size does not determine our worth. I'm passionate about showing other women how to live a life they truly love, one that feels purposeful, that helps them feel their best physically, mentally, and emotionally, and that being a mom can be one of the best things you ever do without it becoming your entire identity. This is a place you can come to hear vulnerable and interesting conversations about health and wellness, motherhood, entrepreneurship, and more. If you want to find freedom with food, learn how to improve your overall well-being, and stop waiting for a number on the scale to start living your best life and go after your goals, then you're in the right place. I'm so excited to learn and grow together. This is the Wellness for the Win podcast. Hello and welcome everyone. I am super pumped for today's conversation. I am sitting down with a couple of licensed therapists to talk about something that I'm super passionate about and something that I think so many women, I know that so many women struggle with but feel very alone in and that is postpartum mental health disorders and postpartum anxiety, depression, all kinds of things that do pop up for most women postpartum. So um, I'm going to have these wonderful ladies introduce themselves really quickly first. So if you want to kick us off, Kelsey. Yeah, Shanna, first, thank you so much for having us. We're so excited to be diving into such an important topic and excited for this conversation. So yes, I am Kelsey Foss, uh, co-founder and therapist here at The Counseling Co. And just a little bit about The Counseling Co. We are a private practice that specializes in women's mental health. And really our personal experiences with postpartum, with just life experiences, becoming a mom, struggles with becoming a mom and that leading into a pairing with our professional experience has been the reason the counseling coexists. So it is so fun to be able to do this work and create a space that we really wanted to create for our girlfriends, our parents. I mean, the people that we care about, we wanted to have a space that they felt heard and welcomed and seen. And so that was really why the Counseling Co. um, was created, was to be able to support women in all stages of life. So we support women beyond the perinatal stages, but that is such an important, passionate topic that we do address with women every single day. So there's co-founder me and Donna, and then Tara joined our practice six months into the practice when I was going on maternity leave. So we're happy to have her, but I'll let her share a little bit more about her experience joining the Counseling Co. Yeah, I'm Tara Westerhouse. I am one of the therapists here at the Counseling Co. Like Kelsey said, I am coming up on a year here, um, which is just crazy. I came in um, in June. Kelsey went on maternity leave and I helped see some of her clients while she was gone and then kind of built my own caseload during that time and um, was really led to this work through both personal and professional experience and um, found myself, you know, through my own experience in the perinatal stage, becoming really passionate about this work. I recently was certified through postpartum support international in perinatal mental health. So obviously just a a passion area of mine and something that I'm so excited and honored to be able to do day in and day out. And being a part of this team is honestly a dream. Um, Kelsey and I have been talking about this since grad school, we met in our program at KU and have talked about and dreamed about this day for a long time. So it's really just pretty amazing to be able to do the work that you love with Mm -hmm. your best friend. Yeah, that is awesome. And, and it's so clear that you, your entire practice, all of you women, you're clearly so passionate about what you're doing. And that really shines through in everything that you do and all that you share, whether it's on social media or our conversations, even offline. I just love everything that you're doing. And I think it's so 
so important. So I'm really excited to dive into this today. Um, and I appreciate you sharing a little bit of background about your practice as well, because um, it'll be such a valuable resource for people who are local. So like I said, you know, we're talking about all things postpartum mental health today. So in general, which you guys have kind of touched on as well, and I think that you've also experienced, in general, there is a major lack of support and resources for women in this area. And I saw something on Instagram today that was talking about, I think it was someone from the Matrescence, if you guys know them, and I'll, I wanted to give them a little plug and a shout out too. I'll, I'll put their info in the uh, show notes as well because they're an awesome resource for moms too. Um, but it was talking about, you know, at your six-week checkup, they're like, yeah, are you healed? Okay, cool. You're good to have sex. Here's some birth control. And it's like a complete lack of asking, how's your mental health? You know, are you having intrusive thoughts? All of these things that just get overlooked a lot of times. Um, And so I think it's really important to not only know what to look for, but also to advocate for yourself, um, which is really hard for a lot of women. You know, not everyone feels comfortable or even or even knows if it's, you know, quote unquote, what they're experiencing is normal. Um, So that's a lot of what we'll touch on today as well is, okay, what's normal and what's concerning? Um, And, you know, it's kind of a fine line. So let's start first with pregnancy, because some women, women were asking, how can I set myself up for success during pregnancy? What can I do in advance to kind of prepare for my mental health and to kind of take care of myself during that season and then transitioning into postpartum. Um, And also, you know, maybe preparing the partner for that transition as well. So what tips do you have for women who are soon to be moms? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a couple of things go into this. One being um, just kind of being aware of the risk factors that you may hold in terms of developing a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. So some risk factors might be a history of depression or anxiety, um, a previous perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, uh, childhood sexual abuse, uh, lack of support from your partner, or just lack of a support system in general, financial stressors, abuse within your relationship, complications in pregnancy and birth um, and, and things like that. And so just kind of being aware of what risk factors may be present and kind of developing a plan around some of those things and just increasing that awareness. Um, but something that we work a lot with um, our pregnant clients is developing a postpartum plan. So similar to a birth plan, right? Kind of a loose plan because we know that things don't always go according to plan. Right. <laughs> um, but coming up with a postpartum support plan and coming and, and kind of thinking through some of the potential obstacles and barriers that may come up in the postpartum period. So things like expectations, what do I expect to be my responsibility? What do I expect to be my partner's responsibility? you know, who's going to feed baby, who's going to do laundry, who's going to do, you know, some of those day-to-day responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, Who is my support system outside of my partner? What are we planning on doing for food for us? Right. So, I mean, there are so many things that you could, could list out in kind of a postpartum plan, but, but I think what it boils down to is just expectations and knowing that those may change when you get to that phase and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But again, having that loose plan in place um, can really help get some of those expectations out in the open before you're experiencing them in that postpartum period. So mm-hmm. you can kind of anticipate maybe what some of the barriers are going to be just based on your personality and your temperament and things like that. And so thinking through some of those things and communicating them with your support system can be really beneficial. Yeah. And when you listed off all those risk factors, 
that to me right there is like, well, no wonder the majority of women have these disorders because it's it's almost inevitable that someone has at least one of those things, right? There's there's so many factors that can contribute to it. And, and as far as the expectation piece goes, that was something that I found really challenging because when I was pregnant, I know that I kind of outsourced to my community and I was like, okay, what tips do you have for a, a you know, soon to be first time mom? And a lot of people did suggest, you know, okay, talk to your partner about what your, what your duties are going to be. And to me, I think that's great advice, but I also think it's hard to know what that's going to look like until you've been in that spot, you know, because um, baby comes and then, like you said, you're kind of thrown for a loop and you're like, oh, wow, certain things look different <laughs> than I expected. Um, so I think it's it's great to have conversations and talk about, you know, what that is going to look like, but also be open to it changing. And then also when it does change, be open to communicating what you need. Um, cause that was something that I definitely struggled with. And I know we'll talk more about that a little bit later as far as, you know, signs and, you know, what you might experience that can lead to postpartum anxiety or things like that. Um, but it is hard to verbalize what you need from your partner until you're in it. And, and then sometimes even then it's hard to, <laughs> to like come out and say it because you just assume that they know. Um, and unfortunately they don't. <laughs> Right. Only they could anticipate all of our needs and everything. Right. <laughs> if only men were mind readers, right? Um, okay, that's that's super helpful. So hopefully that helps for mamas who are expecting and, and about to be in that season to just kind of prepare. Um, and then, okay, so let's say baby comes. So can you please talk about the difference between the baby blues or I guess touch on what those are in general and then what that looks like compared to maybe postpartum depression or anxiety or any other mood disorders? Yeah. So the baby blues with my first surprised me. And I like, this is before I really delve into this work because after my first is really when this shift happened with my own experience and wanting more support than what I had had and what was out there and what I knew about. And so this is, I was like very emotional and experienced all of this baby blues is that first two weeks postpartum when you might experience higher emotions that like just feeling incredibly emotional, but it doesn't necessarily impact mood or connection with baby, but 60 to 80% of women experience baby blues mm-hmm. after postpartum peaking between three and five days. And so if that was, if that was you, if it didn't like me, like I was very, like, I was crying all the time. I'm like, what is happening? I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like so relieved, yeah. but I'm crying my eyes out constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if that persists longer than two weeks, that's when we're looking at something different. And so we're really looking at the onset severity. What are the other symptoms that we're looking at in terms of postpartum depression? And so are you having social withdrawal from other people? Are you not wanting people to come over, wanting to be more isolated and looking at really some other things that might be impacting some of those symptoms. So like difficulty sleeping, agitation, irritability, I can't cope. This isn't like me. And if that's lasting beyond those two weeks, that's when we're going to look at potentially that being postpartum depression as well. And that postpartum depression typically peaks can come anywhere in that first, really the onset could be that perinatal period. I should take a step back a second. That perinatal period is when like conception to that first year postpartum. And so Mm -hmm. depression can show up in any time during that when we would label that as like that perinatal mood disorder. Um, But that peaks typically three months postpartum. And so that's what we're really like, you're talking about those doctor's appointments after 
really needing to be able to advocate of like, this doesn't feel right. And that six weeks, we might not see that. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have that follow-up. If you're feeling that beyond that six weeks, definitely, definitely reach out to a therapist, your medical provider, your OB to be able to get support because we want to know it doesn't have to be that way. You do not have to feel that way. There is treatment. There's um, hope for it to feel different and better just because it's postpartum doesn't mean that you have to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and with, you know, obviously the past couple of years being in a pandemic has added a whole new layer of isolation, not necessarily by choice for a lot of people. That was kind of the case for me. Um, I delivered in January of 21. So it was still kind of a weird time. And, you know, things are opening back up a little bit more now. But obviously, everyone has a different comfort level with you know, bringing people into the house to meet the brand new baby and, you know, germs are all over the place right now. And um, so it is, it's hard to figure out, okay, what's that fine line of choosing isolation for, you know, uh, health reasons versus, you know, just really not wanting anyone around as well. Um, And I personally experienced a little bit of both where I was like, I, it's just really hard as a new mom, you're figuring out, I mean, you're, you're feeding your baby like around the clock um, and it's hard to time that around visitors, you know, and so there's stress associated with having guests and it's almost easier to not, but you also know you want to be social. It's just a, a hard balance. So that's a, a challenge. Yeah. And goodness, the pandemic, that really (laughs) for us. And that's something that we really, everything is so individualized. And so really looking at what is driving this change. And even for some people, they might be just as social and still experience um, symptoms of depression. And some people might pull back a lot. And so we're looking at all of these as what is impacting this and what's driving this symptom and how can we address that individually? Because you're right, there's so many factors that play into, okay, how many people are around? Who am I reaching out to? And what is my time frame? What is my comfort level? Like, there's so many things like you're mentioning that yeah. impact these things. And so it's definitely not an all or nothing. We're looking at this as like this whole picture Um, whole body, mind, body, situational circumstances, environmental approach with individual client that we look at because it is so individual and circumstances impact how we function in the environment. For sure. Yeah. And I love that you touch on, you know, you can be totally social, but still struggling with depression. That's true for outside of postpartum as well. You know, there's plenty of people who struggle with depression that you would never guess. Um, so yeah, always having having a support system, someone you do feel safe uh, verbalizing those feelings to and getting the support that you need. If you're looking for cute, affordable, comfortable, and ethically made activewear, listen up. I tried some pieces from Paragon Fitwear for the first time recently, and I fell in love. The naked crop top and high-rise naked leggings specifically are my personal favorites. They are buttery soft, so freaking cozy, and great for workouts or lounging around the house. They even have some work leisure items so you can look put together but still feel like you're in sweats. And as someone who works from home, I really appreciate these options. I have loved every item of clothing I've tried from there, so I definitely recommend checking them out if you're looking for some new workout clothes. You can use my affiliate code Wellness for the Win to save on your order at paragonfitwear.com. Okay, now back to the show. Let's touch on some coping strategies. So someone asks specifically for 
strategies for stay-at-home moms. Um, I think, of course, this will be beneficial for all moms to hear, but I do think that stay-at-home moms are in a unique position in that they are oftentimes alone with the children um, or with the baby. And if they don't have help or support all day, every day, that would be a lot. You know, Mm -hmm. I had my three months of of maternity leave and then he went to daycare and then, you know, so that's a different situation. You have more support, you have more time to yourself. um, But stay-at-home moms definitely are lacking probably alone time. (laughs) Um, And so I think it's probably one of the hardest jobs in the whole world. And I (laughs) <laughs> bow down to, to stay at home moms. I think it's really probably really challenging and rewarding and amazing. Um, you know, there's pros and cons to both. But yeah, just in general, can you talk about some coping strategies for postpartum anxiety and depression and also rage? Um, speak about that a little bit as well, because, um, you know, we all just, I think, need some additional tools in our toolbox outside of medication. What are some other just easy day to day things that we can do? Sure. Yeah. And I think as Kelsey talked about, it's such an individualized answer, I guess, in terms of what works for you, because for some people, you know, just being able to get a space of their own and take a couple deep breaths might feel really grounding and might help them cope with a difficult situation. Um, For others, it might be getting baby and going for a walk outside for, you know, others that might be repeating some positive affirmations. And so um, it's kind of a trial and error to figure out what's going to work best for me in the moment, what kinds of strategies work best for me, because everybody's so different, um, in terms of what works well for them. I think that going kind of back to the source is a lot of the work that we do with our clients. You know, why is this situation triggering for my anxiety or why do I feel rage in this moment? Right. Um, and that could be for a variety of reasons, whether that be unmet needs or underlying anxiety or, feeling really out of control, um, or just overstimulated. You know, we talk a lot Mm -hmm. with moms, particularly stay at home moms about feeling overstimulated by noise and just behaviors and motion being touched out. Right. Um, so I think that kind of identifying the source can sometimes help us come up with better strategies to address that feeling. Um, that might be a really good indicator that, Uh, my cup is empty and I need to ask for help or I need to delegate or I need to try and find some time for me, even if it's five or 10 minutes a day, you know, Mm -hmm. starting small, even if that means, you know, I'm going to go prioritize taking a a shower by myself tonight, or I'm going to go walk just around the block in the neighborhood by myself when I have some support. Um, So I think it's kind of paying attention to those moments that come up. Um, those can give us a lot of information about, you know, where we're struggling and where we need a little bit more support. So kind of addressing the source, um, and then just experimenting with some different strategies to see what's going to be most helpful for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have always found going on a walk to be therapeutic and same with taking a, (laughs) taking a shower, you know, taking a shower hits different when you're a a new mom. It's like crazy, you know, especially like a level three shower. I always talk about, you know, shave the legs, wash the hair, wash the body, all the things, you know, it's a, 
a new special experience when you have a baby. But yeah, those are all really good tips. And and also, like you said, identifying the triggers. Like for me specifically, I know that my dogs have been a huge trigger um, and something that I'm honestly still working through almost 15 months postpartum. Mm-hmm. It is really hard. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have dogs and babies and can relate to this. But when your baby needs you and your dogs are barking their heads off or begging for food or begging for attention, finding the capacity for them is really hard. And and it's really emotional when your dogs were like your babies before your human baby came. And so it's it's a lot of guilt that we experience and it's just really hard. And and again, that's where rage came up for me was when I'm, you know, rocking my baby, shushing him, trying to get him down and my dogs are barking their heads off and my husband's gone. And, you know, that's just a whole nother level of rage, like rage and anger that I've never experienced. And, you know, like just absolutely losing my mind on my dogs. Right. Um, and it's just so hard. And again, that that guilt and shame that shows up when that happens I guess, can you speak to that a little bit as well? Yeah. And I love this topic because it's so common for people like you're experiencing and being able to normalize and like us responding that way makes sense. Given the situation makes sense in the circumstances, this is all new and what we want to have happen. I also, it comes up a lot of like, I'm expecting baby to go down for a nap and they're not, and I'm not sleeping the way I thought. And I wanted to get all of these things done and I can't. And that is, we feel out of control. We feel mm-hmm. like everything that we're trying is not working and I can't do it all at once. <laughs> and I feel like a failure. And then when I do one thing, I don't feel like I'm doing the other thing. When I don't do the other thing, like we just feel like we can't win. Yeah. And to be able to tell somebody what your response is makes sense given the circumstances feels really free. And I want it to be different, right? Like yeah. being able to say your response makes sense because of all these things going on, this is a huge adjustment. The dogs aren't responding. The way, like you need them to be quiet. I don't have any control over them being quiet. And I'm trying to put baby down and I feel like I'm losing at both. Yeah. yeah. And then being able to like take a step back and we start really looking at how do I, and this is goodness, parenting and motherhood just like really puts this in our face of like, how do I start learning how to tolerate the uncertainty and being out of control. Yeah. What I used to have control over, Mm -hmm. I no longer do, Mm -hmm. which is not a great feeling at first. But when we start learning how to tolerate that feeling, we feel a little bit more, we identify what we do have control over. Yeah. And let go practice, Mm -hmm. (laughs) practice letting go of what we don't. And that's a process. It's, we really dive into that and really work with clients on, um, addressing, oftentimes it is anxiety that's driving that rage and anxiety. We feel out of control. And so we look at what do we have control over and then maybe shifting some of the expectations or what it's going to look like or asking for help um, if it's not working. So there's a lot of things that go into it. Yeah, definitely um, normalizing the way we make us yelling or doing that. We're human we're going yeah. to, and you're not a bad mom for screaming. You're not a bad mom for needing to put your child down in the crib and taking five minutes to yourself. Um, and then coming back and apologizing and repairing. I think that's a beautiful part of relationships mm-hmm. and being able to model that, that it doesn't make you a bad mom. It doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with how you're parenting. It also doesn't feel good for us. And so we do address that. It's not this all or nothing approach. Yeah. Either. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I completely agree. Motherhood definitely forces you to be flexible and shift your expectations or I guess lower your expectations for certain things and let some shit go. Like, you know, we can't have the laundry done and all the dishes put away and, you know, all the toys put away and everyone happy and everyone fed and, you know, every single thing and us look put together and have our leg- legs shaved. You know, we can't have all of that all at the same time. <laughs> We have to pick and choose. (laughs) And I love that because if we're expecting ourselves to be all of that, that's where the shame comes in. If I can't do Mm -hmm. all of this, then I'm not good enough. I, I would thought I was going to be able to do all of it and I can't and insert shame, insert mom guilt right there. And Mm -hmm. that's where we change our change or communicate our expectations. Have I communicated this? What do I need to be able to? to take a, sh- a level three shower. Like, <laughs> yeah, we have to ask and like, think about those things as well, yeah. but it's true. It's the reality of motherhood and things being different. And that adjustment is so, so hard. Mm-hmm. So hard. Yeah. It's, you know, motherhood, obviously, as we all know, is incredibly beautiful and amazing and rewarding in so many ways, but it's also really freaking hard. That's- and it takes a village <laughs> to do all of these things. So yeah. So what about, I know I, I mentioned it obviously with rage, but are there other things that you would recommend for rage specifically versus PPA and PPD? Or would you say the coping strategies pretty much overlap? I guess you kind of touched on obviously identifying the triggers. Anything else in particular that you have noticed that's beneficial for moms with rage? For rage, we. First and foremost, like kind of depending on how that rage is, how it looks for different people. For some people, it's yelling. For some people, it feels like more like I'm worried about getting physical. Like even though they don't want to, it's not their desire. Like we feel so out of control with that emotion. It feels so intense. And so something that we do talk with moms about is having a safe place for baby. And so if baby's not going down, if we need to go figure out the dogs, like those things, like how, where is a safe place that I can put baby and give myself one minute, five minutes, like knowing baby is safe Mm -hmm. and addressing what we need to address. And then coming back to baby, because usually in that time frame, our goal is to work on how do we calm ourselves? How do we address, like, do we need to put the dogs outside? Do we need to put them in their crate? Like, do we need to do something with that and then come Mm -hmm. back to baby? So then I can feel like I can focus on this without being distracted or they're not going to sleep. So we do like, we focus on put baby in the crib, put baby in a safe place where you can take a step away Mm -hmm. and allow yourself to breathe and compose yourself, but de-escalate that intensity of the feeling. What I like to say is this feeling is temporary. It is not going to last forever. This situation will not last forever. And so when we can tell ourselves that in that moment, it feels like I am never going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. But if we can just say, this is, this feeling is temporary. The intensity of this feeling is temporary. It will not last forever. Oftentimes helps us to be able to navigate through it a little bit yeah, better. Not mm-hmm. all the time, but that works for some people in different situations of this is temporary. Yeah. I love that. And again, I don't want to make this about me, but I know I'm sure that if I've experienced these things that a lot of women have experienced similar situations. So for example, again, early, early postpartum, especially those first couple of months, 
was when the rage was like crazy with the dogs specifically. Like if I was nursing Rhett and the dogs were losing their minds, I just felt like literally I could feel like my blood just boiling <laughs> and just like losing my mind. And I, I, so I personally never experienced rage toward Rhett specifically, but it was always geared toward the dogs, but it would be when I was, you know, holding Rhett or nursing Rhett. And so, um, you know, I never felt that he was unsafe, but I just couldn't even imagine or believe the amount of like anger that I felt toward the stupid dogs. Uh-huh. And and then I did start going to therapy and we we talked about something very similar, just remembering that this feeling is temporary, like you said. And that really helped me. Like once I just started to remember that and if that situation happened again when I was nursing Rhett in in the nursery and the dogs were barking, I was like, you know what? <sighs> I'm gonna breathe through this. In 30 seconds, they'll probably be done and it's okay, <laughs> you know, and, and it's crazy how even just now, like taking it <sighs> just a breath, it's just as crazy how much that can truly make a, a huge difference. It's a small thing that can take 30 seconds or less, but it can truly just completely change how you feel. Um, so I think that's a really good tip because yeah, rage can feel just crazy when you've never experienced that before. Yeah. And it slows down the process. By being able to take a breath, then it slows the reaction. Yeah. To. Oftentimes, that's so automatic that we mm-hmm. do out of control. It's like this feeling feels so intense. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with it. So being able to say like, okay, here it is. I'm ha- I have the awareness that it's coming up. I'm naming it. Of course, I feel this way. It's okay that I feel this way. Like validating it yeah. and being able to take that breath gives us just that five seconds of space before the reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, So I feel like this is a little bit related, but I wanted to transition to intrusive thoughts. So this is something, once again, I think so many women experience and feel very shameful about and don't want to talk about because they're like, oh my gosh, I would never want someone to think that I was thinking about, you know, oh my gosh, I'm chopping these vegetables. And what if I like accidentally cut my baby? Or what if I accidentally drop my baby down the stairs? You know, things like that that are just they just feel unthinkable. Like, oh my gosh, how could that even cross my mind? But it does, you know, things like that are very common or I know that they were for me. Um, I just felt like really nervous about doing certain things while holding Rhett or even being close to him um, for fear of like accidentally hurting him or something bad happening. Um, So can you talk about intrusive thoughts? What is considered quote unquote normal and what is concerning and what level, you know, at what point should we maybe seek help for that? Yeah. Such a great question and important to know the difference. And so I like being able to really identify and separate. So 88% of women experience an intrusive thought to some degree in the middle stages. So good. Like that alone feels really validating. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes women come in and they're like, am I going crazy? Like, why am I having this thought? This feels so insane to me. And so the very first thing we sit down and say is you're not crazy. This is a common thought to have. And we do look at the intensity, the severity and our response. Is it impacting our functioning? And so the intrusive thoughts are, it's, our brain is wild. It's so wild, but it really Mm -hmm. is a way when we enter into this stage, it's a way that our brain is trying to protect. Like we, if we can, our brain thinks like this, if we can anticipate this happening somehow I can avoid this happening. Mm -hmm. 
And so our brain is trying to serve a purpose. It is trying to protect both us and me because intrusive thoughts often are fear of harm to like something happening to us as the parent or something happening to the baby. And it's, these thoughts do not equal intent. It does not mean that we want that to happen. And that's really important to separate. And that's something that we assess, like, what are these thoughts? What are the, what's the intents behind these thoughts? Oftentimes they don't want these things to happen. It's a way of, I want to protect this from happening. I want to avoid this from happening. Right. Um, and so if it's, impacts functioning. So we're like not going in the kitchen at all. If we are avoiding getting in the car, if we are avoiding going down the stairs and we have to go down the stairs in our house to get to, you know, the living room, then that is when we are going to look at addressing it differently. So intrusive thoughts are a symptom of obsessive compulsive disorder, but in having an intrusive thought does not mean that you have obsessive compulsive disorder. So this is where we start looking at the frequency, the severity and the functioning. How is it impacting the functioning and how do we need to address it and looking mm-hmm. at it in different ways. So do we need to separate like, this is a thought I'm having the thought doesn't mean that, that it's going to happen and being able to manage it in that way. Or do we need to look at something different in terms of treatment for say obsessive compulsive disorder? Yeah. Thank you for touching on that. Cause yeah, it's, it is something that can feel very alarming and scary and it is very validating to hear that percentage, which is it's crazy. 88% did you say? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Thought to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that, like you said, there's a lot of shame around. And if sometimes like if we aren't asking that question, someone may not know to bring that up or might not be willing to bring that up. Mm-hmm. So making sure that, you know, on our end, we're screening for those kinds of things and asking those questions to assess, you know, are these thoughts that you're having because they, we know they're really common. And so, um, sometimes just being really direct and asking the question can be helpful in screening for some of that. Yeah, absolutely. Will say too, is if there, if you are having thoughts, because this also comes up in postpartum, if you are having thoughts of harm to baby or harm to yourself, that is something that you would want immediate support on. So calling immediate support, getting somebody to come over. That's something that we would want to be able to support you on because it doesn't have to be that way. I think that's really important. These intrusive thoughts are treatable. They are manageable. And if they're happening a lot, we really want to be able to support you in that. Yeah, absolutely. And is that something, is that something specifically that often requires or people benefit more from medication from or more so therapy or I'm sure it's individual, but (laughs) that's like this, right? It's all individual. Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, medication is absolutely um, a form of treatment that we would look at in Mm -hmm. addressing, um, obsessed, all of these, I mean, postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. And that's something that I'll let Tara touch on a little bit later. Um, but being able to talk about just medication in the perinatal stages, that's something that isn't talked about. And we mm-hmm. kind of have that hands-off approach of like, well, I just can't. And that is not actually the case. And so it's really, really important to know treatment options when addressing um, some of these symptoms to manage them. Yeah, absolutely. And while we're on the topic, I think when it comes to medication, I think there's a lot of again, fear and shame and, you know, all of these thoughts that come up for women who are maybe considering or wondering if they need medication. Um, and I think there's a lot of fear too, as far as, okay, I, I want to breastfeed. Am I able to take medication? Um, or at what point am I ready to get off of medication? So can you talk about, let's just jump into medication a little bit for, for mental health. So first of all, surely there are plenty of options that are safe for breastfeeding, correct? Yes. 
Okay. Are there a lot or are there limited options for that or? Sure. Um, so a lot of the, uh, I get the class of medication is SSRIs are researched to be safe during pregnancy and lactation. So, um, again, I think that there's just a general idea that, well, if I'm pregnant or breastfeeding, I can't take medication. Um, but we know that that's not true. Um, when we, so we don't prescribe us therapists, but we work in collaboration with a lot of med providers. And when we're having those conversations with clients, it's, um, it's kind of a risk versus risk conversation. Right. So there may be some risk to taking medication, any type of medication, right. During pregnancy or breastfeeding, but there's also a risk of untreated mental illness Mm -hmm. and, again, a very individualized decision that you, you'd want to be having those conversations with your OB or your med, if you have a psychiatrist or another med provider and kind of weighing the risk versus risk there and what makes the most sense for you. Um, if you're thinking that medication might be an option, you know, having the conversation with your provider and just because you have the conversation doesn't mean you have to end up being on medication. Um, you ultimately get to make that choice. And if you, are on medication, it doesn't mean you'll be on medication forever. So it's not an all or nothing Mm -hmm. decision. And same goes with, you know, getting off of medication when you um, feel like you might be ready for that. Typically you're looking at a titration off of medication. It's not kind of an all or nothing. So working with your provider on what you're comfortable with and what they're comfortable with in terms of titrating off of medication. And then if we're working with a client who's experiencing that, you know, we are also reviewing the skills to manage the symptoms as they arise and making sure that, like you said, they have the tools in their toolkit to be Mm -hmm. able to manage anything that might come up as they come off of medication. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so a few things there with women who are on medication and contemplating getting off of them, but maybe they aren't currently going to therapy Obviously, we all know that they could benefit <laughs> from going to therapy, but if they're if they're not currently doing that, is there any risk of like of course talking with your doctor first, but you know, going off of it without that additional mental health support from like a professional or um do most people do okay or I love the combined. Okay. I recommend the combined approach. And so being mm-hmm. able to yes, medication can I, I like looking at it from like the medical model too, of if we're looking at somebody who's diagnosed with diabetes, right. We can take medication to manage that, but we also have to change some behaviors and like have some different tools of really knowing and having the awareness of what's working, what's going to impact these symptoms. That's really similar to our therapy Mm -hmm. and therapeutic approach. And so if you're in therapy, you don't have to be on medication. If you're on medication, you don't have to be in therapy. I recommend both because I think they benefit and work really well together mm-hmm. and you get, you see the most benefit and improvement from a combined. Um, if that's the recommendation with medication, some people don't need or want medication. So it, it is individual, but if medication is necessary or appropriate, um, and helpful in treatment, I do love to see therapy, uh, paired with it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, like a it's kind of platter. <laughs> right. For sure. And I love that comparison with, you know, diabetes or really any diagnoses. And even for people who are like quitting smoking, for example, you know, studies show that using medication and, you know, doing some, some form of counseling both help to pe- people be more successful. So it's very similar. And I think, you know, again, almost everyone can benefit from outside support when making any sort of big change. Um, and also 
I think just normalizing medication in general, like you said, it, it is a risk versus risk. And like, for example, during pregnancy, I had to take like prescription um, acid reflux medicine. And it's like, OK, my acid reflux was to a point where it was affecting my daily life and my my quality of life, my ability to nourish my body. And so I had to make that call. And of course, I did so with my doctor. But medication for our mental health should be no different. If it's impacting your daily life and your ability to do things and to treat yourself well, take care of yourself, then it's worth it. So of course, you know, again, having some of those other habits and supports in place as well, but you know, there's no, no shame if you need it. Okay, I have to tell you guys about one of my absolute favorite things that I'm pretty confident that you need in your life as well. We're all on our phones for a large portion of every day, right? So why not make it easier and more comfortable to hold your phone or prop it up with a nifty little gadget? I'm talking about my love handle phone grip. I'm seriously obsessed with this thing. So it's a stretchy strap that you can put on the back of your phone, but you can still lay your phone flat or stick it in your back pocket. It also has a little kickstand on the back so you can prop your phone up, which is probably my favorite feature that I'm using constantly. It even has a super strong magnet on the back. They have tons of cute designs and you can stick them on any phone case. If you've been looking for something like this, look no further. Use my affiliate code wellness for the win for 10% off your purchase of Love Handle. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so I wanted to circle back a little bit to something similar to intrusive thoughts, but a little bit different is catastrophic thinking. Um, So basically thinking like worst case scenario all the time. So I wanted to first share an experience that I had with Rhett that I've actually never, ever talked about openly, not even really to Ethan. I kind of did at the time, but it's something that I'm sure everyone has a similar experience in their first few months of postpartum where something happens that is just so vividly like imprinted into their mind. So this is such a, it seems like such a silly random thing, but again, I'm sure you guys will understand and I'm sure the the moms listening will understand as well. But just as, as an example to paint a picture here. So it was when we were switching Rhett from his first newborn bath seat to the next stage up. So which required him to be sitting up. And so this was around like the six month mark and he had, you know, just recently kind of started sitting up supported. Um, And so in this new bath seat, he wasn't leaning back like he was in his previous one. So his neck wasn't as supported. We put him in it for the first time. And I think he was just a little scared because it was something new and different, but he was like crying and, you know, it was like the worst bath ever. It lasted like 30 seconds. And I was like, we got to get him out. Like we're hurting him or something. You know, I just had this fear that his neck was hurt because he couldn't support it as well as he needed to. And then I nursed him quickly after to like comfort him to make him stop crying. And I felt like he wasn't swallowing well. And I just like within 30 seconds, I had convinced myself that we hurt his throat that he wasn't nursing, that our breastfeeding journey was over, that he was going to have to go to speech therapy. Like literally, I remember this string of thoughts happening and it almost it's like making me emotional thinking about it. But like the fact that like within a minute, just the world is over is crazy. And it it just takes something as little as that to to just make your mind go in crazy places when you're a mom and you're caring for this new human and you're like, it's a lot of pressure. And so that I think is really common. And, and again, that's the, the most vivid one that sticks out to me. I'm sure I've had other instances, but can you talk about catastrophic thinking, how we can like level that down? And, and also is that something that's pretty common that you hear from moms or? 
and even beyond moms, right? I think that's yeah, yeah true. Yeah, absolutely. We it's hard sometimes not to think catastrophic. I think it goes to especially when a, a situation is in front of us mm-hmm. and it's playing out and we like see like that is so terrifying, right? Of like if something were to happen and then this means this and our brain, it's like this primary anxious response versus secondary anxious response. And that primary anxious response serves us well in that our brain goes into what do I need to do? How do I respond? And how do I make this? Okay. How can I affect and care for my baby? And then what do I need to do in response to this? Where we see this impacting is when the secondary anxious response comes into play here. And then we maybe like avoid giving him a bath in the future or we don't have mm-hmm. him up. And it becomes like, yeah, maybe the next time it felt like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this. I want Ethan here with me. I am just like a little bit more cautious naturally. Right. Because that was really scary initially. Yeah. Like, I'm not even sure if this is okay. Like, is, is he okay? Yeah. And then, so that like that primary anxious response lasts a little bit. That secondary anxious response comes in to play of like the next time where it, there's not real danger, but it's, there's perceived danger of like, mm-hmm. I'm imagining this happening and that's coming up mm-hmm. and that next time and then the next time. But if the secondary anxious response gets stuck, that's where we really look at addressing, going back to disrupting that negative thought process, mm-hmm. disrupting the catastrophic thinking and this is what happened for you in that moment was felt like a very true, real threat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is your response actually was really like appropriate. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Perceived threat or like a real threat in front of me of like, this could happen. Mm-hmm. It's when that threat is not actually happening. So it's like a false alarm in the future mm-hmm. um, that this one alarm goes off, but then it stays going off, but there's not actually a fire. That's when we look at addressing that a little bit differently. Your brain in that moment um, was responding exactly the way that all mom brains need to respond. Yeah. Um, if we keep having those thoughts and we're, Brene Brown calls it dress rehearsing tragedy. Mm-hmm. And if that impacts our functioning and if it impacts the way that we're able to care for a baby and we're not giving baths to baby because we're afraid of what might happen, we're going to look at that differently. That's really helpful. I love that. What did you say about Brene Brown again? What does she call it? She calls it dress rehearsing tragedy. Mm, that's good. And we try to dress rehearse it to be able to, so like we can feel prepared for when it happens. But what sh- her research tells us is that it actually doesn't prepare us. It doesn't help. If that situation were to happen, it would be terrible. And us dress rehearsing it wouldn't make it any better. Mm-hmm. Right. So true. Yeah. And that's kind of like what anxiety is, right? It's just like, like anticipating the future and fearing it. And that's something that I've definitely experienced and that I know a lot of women do. And that's motherhood in a a nutshell. (laughs) You're like constantly anticipating the next change and the next big transition. And, you know, it's always something and it's hard. And, you know, coping with change is something that everyone, you know, pregnant or mom or not, you know, we all struggle with change at times. So it's it's a lot, especially when they're just back to back to back. <laughs> Which yes. is what that first year is. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. even beyond the baby changing, you are going through, like, as 
a, in that perinatal, both like in pregnancy, but then postpartum, there's lactation changes, there's weaning off lactation, there's yeah. menstrual cycle reemerging. Like there's so many different things that are also changing within ourselves and the hormonal adjustments on top of so many milestone and changes and adjusting to the first year of a baby is just wild, beautiful and wild all at the same time. Yeah. So true. So it's no wonder these things come up during pregnancy and postpartum when we think about really like all of the environmental changes in addition to all of the hormonal changes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The hormones are something special. (laughs) That is for sure. Yeah. We're, we're in the process of slowly weaning and doing it very gradually has helped, but I still have had, you know, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster at times. So, so speaking of that, actually someone, I did want to go to a few listener questions because I gathered some questions from mamas who were wondering, and we touched on a lot of them throughout. So that was great. But someone did ask about dealing with depression while weaning. Um, And I guess even just talking about about hopefully educating moms that that can be very normal, that anxiety and depression can show up during the weaning phase, even if you haven't experienced that at all postpartum or if you have, of course. So is there anything unique about that? Do you find that once people are fully weaned that it typically resolves quickly or what does that process usually look like? Sure. I mean, I think, again, it goes back to the combination of the hormonal changes that are happening with weaning in addition to the environmental changes, right? Yeah. So we we're, we might be grieving, right? Mm-hmm. The loss of this experience that we had with our baby. So yeah. in addition to the hormonal changes that, that come with no longer breastfeeding, we're also trying to process what does the end of this journey look like? And what are my feelings about this, right? I might feel really happy and relieved, that this is over and that's okay. But I also might feel really sad that this is over and I might be mourning, right? The loss of this Mm -hmm. experience that I had or both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Both. So true. Yeah. And so I think going back to just meeting yourself with compassion, regardless of how you feel about it. And then the expectations come up again too. Maybe you expect yourself to feel really relieved when breastfeeding's over and instead you feel horribly sad that it's mm-hmm. over. Or maybe you yeah. expect yourself to feel really sad and instead you feel really relieved, right? And so I yeah. think it goes back to those expectations and how we anticipate ourselves to experience this and meeting yourself with compassion either way, no yeah. matter how I feel about this. So yeah, I think that the shifts that happen in mood related to weaning come from a combination of those factors. For sure. Absolutely. And that's I've heard all of those things from so many women as I've kind of been sharing my weaning journey is that it it sounds like majority of women do experience both. <laughs> it is that, you know, relief and also sadness all wrapped up into one. And it's just a lot of emotions. And, and it's the end of a, a very significant chapter, right? It's, you know, for some, depending on obviously the timeline, regardless of how long or how short you nurse your baby, it is going to be most likely an emotional experience. And, you know, there's probably a lot of factors that go into that. You know, not everyone chooses to wean. There's a lot of different things that that can affect that happening as well. So yeah, there's just a lot to to navigate emotionally during that time. And again, it, it may be a relief in ways, but also really sad. And you might be surprised like weeks later that you feel sad when you expected to be happy. <laughs> I'm currently going through all of those things. Um, so that's helpful. 
Okay, friends, really quick, I need to talk about some of our favorite products that we have used throughout Rhett's whole life. Tubby Todd. I'm sure you've heard of them, and if not, you're welcome. They're famous for the all-over ointment, which we loved and used all the time when Rhett had super dry skin as a little babe and his cradle cap, Um, and we absolutely love all of their bath soaps and shampoos as well. Their products are all pediatrician and dermatologist tested, and they have gentle body care basics for the whole family, including you, Mama. Another item of theirs that we love is the Sweet Cheeks Diaper Paste. It works like a charm and magically makes diaper rash vanish overnight, which makes my heart really happy because seeing his little bum red makes me super sad. (laughs) Head to the show notes to grab my affiliate link for 10% off your purchase and make bath time better with Tubby Todd. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Um, Okay, so let's see. What else did we not touch on? One person asked, is it normal for mom to want to stay home with her baby more than the old stuff that she used to do? Um, So I know we spoke a little bit about isolation in the very beginning, but I guess is there a specific you know, amount of time that you see women typically kind of wanting to stay at home more and then a, a certain amount of time that passes that they may be more open to, to being social or what does that typically look like? Yeah, this I have seen all across the board. So there mm-hmm. are moms pregnant who missed their life before. There are moms in postpartum who missed their life before. There are moms on the exact opposite end who don't miss their life at all. Before. Like they love being, and not that moms who look, wish their life were different. Don't love being a mom, but like right. they don't miss their life before. Yeah. So across the board, I don't think I have not noticed there could be research out there, but like a time frame or what is, I would say it's all normal. Like whatever you're mm. feeling is normal. If you don't miss your life before that is totally normal and okay. And there's nothing that we would want to be different about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are struggling with accepting, not like if you're feeling like, Oh, I should miss my life before that's what we're going to address and challenge that it's okay not to miss your life before. And if you are missing your life before that's okay too. And how do we incorporate and like feel more connected maybe of pieces of you, of who you were before mm-hmm. and really reconnecting and like, who are you now redefining who you are now and, right. and looking at that too. So there's, I don't see a time frame necessarily on what that looks like. We see that showing up. Are the thoughts normal? Do they come up? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, they come up through the perinatal and then even beyond that as well. Yeah. For it's sure. such a huge identity shift. I think like when yeah. you become a mom that yeah, if you're interested in different things now, or you're more interested in staying home with your kid, I think that makes a lot of sense because it's Mm -hmm. such a huge identity shift on the flip side of that coin, right? We know that isolation and lack of interest in activities I used to be interested in can be symptoms of depression too, right? right? So it's, you know, yourself the best and you know, kind of, is this a response to just this new chapter of my life? And this is what I'm more interested in now or more comfortable with, or is this, you know, I'm isolating to avoid and I just don't feel like myself anymore. It, right. it's kind of, you know, differentiating right. between the two. For sure. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's completely normal for our priorities to change. You know, our baby is obviously a big priority. And I I love that you touched on identity because I even just made a note to myself because I wanted to speak to that huge change in identity. You know, you're now mom. But I think at some point you also have to look outside of that and get to a place where you're like, okay, I need to remember who I am at my core outside of mom, you know, because obviously that's an incredibly important title. It's probably your favorite and number one title, but it's not 
all that you are. Um, and I think that was really helpful for me was getting back to that place where I was like, okay, I'm still a friend and a wife and a daughter and a colleague <laughs> and a business owner and all of these things. And, you know, starting to pour like passion back into other relationships, other hobbies, you know, things outside of my baby was also something that helped to fill my cup and made me a better mom. And so I think that's important for people to to remember, you know, at a certain point, we have to kind of look back, you know, at the whole picture and say, okay, am I pursuing those other pieces of me and the things that do bring me joy outside of my baby? Yeah. And with that, I think we do see different, like at three months, six months, 12 months postpartum, we do hear mom saying like, at this point, I felt like I was felt more like myself. I felt like I was able to reach out to friends. And so we do hear that start happening Mm -hmm. for both stay at home moms and working moms. Like at some point people start seeing like, okay, I feel more connected to myself. And if they're not, we also look at how can we to feel more connected Mm -hmm. to ourselves and the people around us. Mm -hmm. For sure. Absolutely. That's a question I love to ask new moms is what makes you feel like you Mm-hmm. And how can we get you doing a few more of those things, starting mm-hmm. small, but doing a few more of those things that make you feel like you? Yep. So true. And it can be such little things. Like you said, going on a walk by yourself, <laughs> taking a shower by yourself, mm-hmm. getting some exercise in. You know, I think that's something so many women use exercise as an outlet. I think we need to, you know, examine our relationship with exercise and our intent behind it, especially in that postpartum phase. Um, you know, we need to be easing back into that slowly and being kind to our bodies in the process and also, you know, hopefully doing it from a place of this is something that I love to do to take care of myself and to feel good physically and mentally versus trying to change my body um, because that's a whole nother layer and a whole nother conversation. But yeah, there are so many things, so many just little things that we can do to just feel like ourselves. And and for me, even it can be as little as like going on a drive to the grocery store <laughs> by myself. Um, and, you know, having a 30 minute like trip to run errands alone can, can also be like really in, reinvigorating. <laughs> so yeah, don't underestimate the, the little things. Gosh, well, this has been such an amazing conversation. I think we touched on so many incredible points that will be so helpful for people. Um, was there anything that we missed that you wanted to touch on or do you feel like we covered all the bases? Anything else that you wanted to, to speak on? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we could have a whole other, <laughs> on all the right. Things, yeah. And mood and anxiety disorders. I think we covered a lot of it. I would say that just prevalence wise, one in five to seven women do experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. And the other thing that we didn't touch on today, but one in 10 partners experience a mood, um, Mm. mood and anxiety disorder. And so that is another thing that we really work on. How does it impact the partner? It's not just, um, the birthing parent who experiences, um, anxiety, like anxiety and depression as well. And our brains change as, caregivers and as moms, like when we deliver and care for a baby and then our partner's brains change as well, the more that they care for the child. And so if you feel different, going back to that identity, it's because your brain literally is different. And Mm -hmm. we say that to validate and to be able to like resonate like this, our bodies are changing so much is happening. And this is kind of like what we said before, it's hard and beautiful and that's what motherhood is. Yeah. You're feeling alone or or feeling isolated or feeling any of those things. We just want to know, we want you to know that you, it doesn't have to be that way. You Mm -hmm. can 
receive help, it can be different and giving some hope that there's some like green on the other side. There's light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) with all of this and with support. Absolutely. And yeah, no one is alone in any of these things that they're experiencing. You know, we've all had so many similar thoughts and emotions and struggles. And it is really helpful to know that so many partners do experience it as well. And that makes total sense. You know, it's a huge life change for them as well. And I think first and foremost, baby gets all most of the attention and then comes mom and then comes partner, you know, so that makes sense. You know, I think a lot of times people are like, how's mama? How's baby? And yeah, the, the partner oftentimes isn't even thought about. So that's a really good, good point that I think a lot of people and that's something maybe to for anyone who's expecting, you know, currently pregnant to maybe talk through with their partner as well to make sure they're checking in on each other, you know, that just having that kind of support system in place that is reciprocated. Okay. Wow. This was just so, so great. So lastly, I did want to wrap up with one question that I ask everyone and I didn't give it to you in advance. So we'll see if you guys can think on your feet, but something I like to ask people is what is the, the best piece of advice you've ever received or just best piece of advice that you'd like to give? And it doesn't even have to be related to this conversation at all. <laughs> oh, goodness. One thing that I will say, just kind of like that comes to mind right off the bat, is there is not, there is more than one right way to do things. Mm-hmm. And that is something that, Preach. I, that like, <laughs> I have to remind myself because we just get so much information about, you know, do this way to sleep, do this way to eat, do this way. And like, I just like can, can get really overwhelmed with that. And so reminding myself, there's more than one right way has been like, kind of my foundation that I come back to in motherhood. I love that. Such a good one because yes, there is so much noise. And at the end of the day, we know ourselves best. We know our babies best and we need to trust that and not trust like the random influencer, which I'm one of them. So, (laughs) you know, speaking about myself too, you know, if I say something, that doesn't mean it's right for you too. So I think that's very, very important for everyone to remember. That's a good one. What about you, Tara? I'm going to steal a Tim Ferriss quote, which is, if it's not a heck yes, it's a no. Love that. Um, And I just think in terms of, yeah, being a new parent and all of those things and just boundary setting in life in general, like when I'm saying yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. And so really evaluating, I think that comes with, you know, parenthood, evaluating how I'm spending my time and um, that it's okay to say no to things sometimes. And so if I'm not, you know, super excited about it, it's okay to say no to it. So that's something that I'm continuing to work on. But yeah, when you said the best piece of advice, that's the first thing that popped in my head. (laughs) And she asked, I love that. And I'm like, should I, somebody asked me to do this and she's like, is it a heck yes? And I'm like, no. Love that. I love that you use that on a daily basis. And I I think boundaries are, and again, that could be a whole nother conversation too, but boundaries are so important in protecting your time and sanity and happiness by saying no to things that you really genuinely don't want to do is just like so essential (laughs) to happiness. So I love that one. So good. Okay. Well, last, last but not least, can you tell us again where people can find you information about the Counseling Co., you know, social media, website, all the things? Yeah. So we are located in Olathe, Kansas. And I should put this plug in here too. We do have a postpartum group that will be supporting mamas starting in June. So you can come to our website or Instagram to get connected. And it's going to be 
Well, we'll see. Right now it'll be a virtual group. We'll see if people are really wanting to be in person for that. Um, Then we also have a perinatal, like preparing for postpartum workshop coming up as well in May. So I don't know exactly when this airs. We can put it in the notes depending. Yeah, yes. But absolutely. Instagram is the counseling co or at the counseling co. And then we just got a TikTok. (laughs) Oh, nice. There you go. (laughs) Little toes in the water to kind of. Yeah. TikTok, but I think that is at the counseling co too. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yes, like you said, I will absolutely include all the details and links to things in the show notes. I love that you guys have support groups coming up. That'll be super beneficial for people as well. So thank you again, both so much for this conversation, for all of your knowledge, all that you're doing to help women during this, you know, amazing, but challenging season. And you're just amazing. So thank you so much. And we feel the same exact way about you. Thanks (laughs) for having us. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and took away some tips or wisdom that you can apply to boost your health and happiness starting today. If you did, I would love it if you would subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review to help other women like you find my show and get inspired to start living a life they love. Also, take a quick screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Be sure to tag me at wellness for the win so I can see why you love today's show. Thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.